Easter. It's so good to see you all. I am so excited this Easter. I think part of it is we didn't get to do this together last year, and I wasn't with you last year, so very, very happy. I got my shirt tucked in. I shaved my neck again. I put some volumizer in my hair, so I'm ready to go, right? Christ is risen. So is my hair. That's what we're doing today. Really, really happy to be with you. Usually there's a lot of salutations here, but uh, I'm going to try to stick to a, a kind of a time allotment that I've been given uh, appropriately. And so let me just say, if this is your first time with us, or you haven't been with us in a long time, or first time back, whatever it is, I sincerely, and I'll say this on behalf of every single one of our elders and all of our staff, we're just glad you're here. We are so thankful that you would log in right now and join us online. We are so thankful for it. No judgment if you've never been here. No judgment if this is your first time back. We're just glad you are here. And so what I just point out is if you're here, where that's literally in person in the parking lot, or joining us online, you're here, right? And so might as well make the most of the time. So what I'd ask of you in this is maybe you have already come to some conclusions about the whole Easter story, right? Okay, I know what it means. Jesus raised from the dead. That's great. I know there's this, you know, the, the tomb's rolled open. He's not here. He's risen. Hooray. Let's celebrate and let's go eat some lunch, right? Some of you are there. Others of you think this is a complete, complete silly story. That it is folklore. It's myth or it's legend. And you're literally just doing someone a favor right now, right? And I'm so, gl- so glad you're here, right? And others of you are just not real sure. Like you're going to just shrug your shoulders and go, maybe this is the case. I mean, I could see what there could be a God somewhere but I don't really know. And I just say, regardless of where you are, would you just, for the next 40 minutes with me, just suspend any kind of preconceived notions and just let's just come into this and go, God, if you're real, if you are, you can say if, if that makes you feel better. Or those of us who know, God, you're real. And if this story is true, that you literally came back from the dead, that you defeated death, right? If it's true, or we know it's true, if whatever that is, God, would you just... Would you just speak to me through your scriptures, whatever it is? Would you just, just speak to me? Would I double dog dare all of you? Even if you don't believe any of this stuff, just for a second to go, would you just speak? Because what we've learned over the last several weeks, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to revisit this, is that the way by which the kingdom of God is ushered in, it's so, so crazy. It doesn't make a lot of sense. It doesn't make a lot of sense to a lot of Christians, right? So it just doesn't make a lot of sense. But what the Bible tells us in a letter written by a guy who hated Jesus, who fell in love with Jesus post-resurrection. His name was Saul turned Paul. He wrote two-thirds of these letters in the New Testament. And one of the letters he wrote was to a group of people called the Romans. They lived in the Roman regime. Things were good for them. Some women had indoor plumbing 2,000 years ago. They had affluence. They had influence, but something was off. And they were— um, they were subject to whatever the ruling and reigning and the emotions of the leaders of the Roman Empire. And so Paul wrote a letter to them, and he tells you that the way by which you access all this stuff, the kingdom of God, he says that hearing or faith, this idea that you get into it comes from hearing, and hearing comes from the word of Christ. So we've been talking about several weeks, that the way by all this gets kind of initiated, doesn't make a lot of sense, but still true, that it actually comes from hearing. Like literally, as we open the scriptures, that you're going to hear from God himself. So would you just say, God, God, would you speak, right? So what we've been doing, we, we teach in series, Ben just alluded to that. We're in a series called Scent, or the long, long version is the official scent study guide. And what we're actually looking at is this whole story that we're talking about 2,000 years later kind of had a Genesis story. 
like the story where all this begins, so beautiful we're doing it on Easter because that's where it all begins. And what we can go back and look at 2,000 years ago is there was a very small group of people, very small, who started this movement with Jesus, and this slow, slow movement ended up within 100 years, 150 years, completely changing the world. In fact, one of the things it did, so crazy, you'll appreciate this, is it literally, this story ran interference and resolved so much racial tension 2,000 years ago. This story, it ran interference and solved so much misogynistic um, approaches to life 2,000 years ago, right? It ran interference and solved so many of the problems that it had to do with poverty and health care. All these things that here we are 2,000 years later going, is there something that could fix this? 2,000 years ago, there was this resolution and solution that began with just a few people. So we're going, if that's true, boy, could, would that be nice for it to happen again in our world and our nation. And so if that's true, could we just kind of see where the whole thing started? And what Jesus did, he took just a few followers, 12, and he spent some time with them. And then he invited some more folks from the crowd to kind of observe and hear and see, right? And slowly but surely, he, tr he trained them and developed them to actually go and bring this good news and bring healing and bring peace and bring justice to the world. So we've just kind of slowly going, okay, if Jesus did it 2,000 years ago, why can't he do it again now? What does that look like? And so we have been walking through it. And what we've learned is that the way by these things that initiated actually comes from hearing about it first. And so where we've been has been in Luke chapter 8, but let me just tell you real quick so that you're all caught up to speed. Uh, Luke was an actual real person, okay? Luke was a, a real human being. He was a doctor turned investigative journalist, right? And so we've been reading through the gospel of Luke now for 37, 38 weeks, little by little, day by day. And Luke was a real person. And he wrote a real biography about Jesus. And the reason he wrote this story is because this guy, Theophilus, we believe was a Roman official. He had all the affluence and all the influence, but he had to say something really weird. He had to say daily, if not hourly, that Caesar is Lord. And he was suspicious of that, right? Because no human's Lord. No human is perfect and infallible. And so he, wondering if the story of the resurrection, the story of Jesus was true, literally hired this guy, hired Luke to leave his medical practice and go and study this. So he hired an educated medical scientist to go and figure out whether this story about Jesus is true. So Luke goes and he interviews all the eyewitnesses. That's what Luke tells us in Luke chapter 1. He goes and reads all the, all the written documents from all the different gospels that are already written, Matthew and Mark, all the Old Testament scriptures. And he would have even gone in and read the deeds to the homes and the genealogies. It's so crazy. And then he would have gone and gone to synagogue, to synagogue, local churches, and listened to the pastors and the rabbis teach the stories, all the oral traditions. And he says he compiled all that. Took him a couple years, if not a decade. And he tells us in Luke chapter 1, verse 4, he did all this. And he writes all these things so that we can have certainty of the things that we've been taught. Who's teaching? Jesus is teaching. And so we've gone, hey, it's a world where there certainly doesn't seem to be much certainty, right? Um, you're kind of witnessing, experiencing kind of a pretty crazy culture we're in right now, right? In fact, uh, what most sociologists are now saying is what's happened in the last, you know, year has increased the rate of change and speed that would have taken decades, right? For example, many of you didn't like technology, didn't want to do anything with technology. You liked all, 
you know, face-to-face communication. And then the last year happened. And to see your grandkids, or to see your great-grandkids, or to see your children, you had to make the decision to learn how to use Zoom, right? Had to make the decision to learn how to do FaceTime, right? Turn the camera this way, mom. Turn the camera this way, mom. I see your nostrils, right? All those things. You get to learn all these things. Why? Because it was the only way by which you could connect. I mean, I've talked to many of you about the pain and sorrow of the last year as it relates to just feeling alone and isolated. I, I join you in that. This time last year was a deep, dark time for me. All the reason I'm so happy to be with you right now, just this disconnection. And what we've witnessed over the last year, it's just a lot of pain and a lot of sorrow and a lot of struggles. And so what I kind of communicated last week, but I want to catch up to speed, um, the way that I think change happens, right? And I think we're seeing it now. Let me just kind of expect, explain it to you. The way that change happens is it typically is this slow creep, right? So we'll imagine it this way. We're imagining it's like these um, hikers going on a journey, right? Just slow creep. Little by little, day by day, and things start to change, and you hear the words like, this isn't a hill worth dying on, right? And so you just, little by little, and hear me, hear me, this is, this is apolitical. I'm not talking about political. This is asexual. I'm not talking about sexuality. This is uh, not talking about gender identity, none of those things. I'm talking about as a whole, what we've seen in the last, last years, what's happened is the last couple of decades, it's a slow, slow, slow creep. In fact, I was reading an article yesterday, I think it was from The Atlantic, talking about where they would point to a moment where it certainly started to change in our culture, where they would point to it would actually have been 1974 in Hollywood right? As things started to adjust in our culture. So this slow, steady creep, right? And so the way by which change happens is it's slow and it's steady, and it's a slow, steady creep, little by little by little by little. And then, and then, then, it's a deep, dark plunge. And you're going, man, everything just seems crazy. There's so much anger and so much vitriol and so much mess. Guess what? Guess what? I don't think we're in the slow, steady creep right now. I think we're in the deep, dark plunge. And this is not to do fear-mongering. It's just to go, hey, can't we just admit it's been a a rough year? Can't we just admit there's unrest everywhere? And it certainly seems like we don't really know the solutions. And we've put our hope in weird things like vaccines. And again, this isn't about vaccines. Or we put our hope into political figures. And again, this isn't about politics. We just continue to look for things, hoping that one day finally we'll get out of what just feels like this deep, dark plunge. And what do we do, right? Is there a way that the skies open back up? Is there a way to reverse the change? Is there a way to get some semblance and some order and some firm foundations? And what I know when you're falling, and you're falling fast, know from experience, right? What you do as you just try to reach out and grab whatever is firm. And so when Luke says, I write these things so that you can have certainty of the things that you've been taught, he's saying, hey, there is a place that as you're in that free for all, that free fall, you can actually cling to some things. Cling to some things. And what he's going to argue is what you can cling to is actually Jesus. And Jesus is going to tell you what you can cling to is actually this kingdom. This is the craziest thing about the scriptures. We always think about salvation and you're a sinner, you're going to hell and pray the prayer, God wants your money. Why there's some conversations about salvation. And there's some conversations about our money being tied to our heart. And there's some conversations about social issues like divorce and poverty. The majority, the majority of Jesus' teaching is actually about something else. 92 times in the four gospels, Jesus talks about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. 
And so what Luke is saying is, we write these things so that you, I write these things so you can have certainty about the kingdom of God. And Jesus showed up and said, guess what? Repent. By the way, that means change your mind. For the kingdom of God is near or at hand. Meaning in the middle of the free fall, you can cling to something and you can experience the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And here's the really good news of that. Many of you have grown up in church or had some kind of experience in the church and you've heard if you bow your head and pray some prayer, acknowledge your sin and ask God into your heart. One day, one day you'll get to go to heaven. But that's not what Jesus taught. What Jesus actually taught is that he came to bring heaven to us. Meaning, this is what's so great about the resurrection. That means every single one of you here in this right now get to experience the kingdom of heaven if you so wish to Day. So we got to figure out if this is a free fall, how do we reorder and fix this? First, what do we stop the fall with? What do we cling to? And then how do we reverse the change, right? So how do we then somehow figure out a way to go back? And here's the problem with going back. Gravity is a real thing, right? If you're my age or older, you're very aware of what gravity does to you, right? It's not very fun. It's ridiculous. That's why I don't smile. All these wrinkles are ready. So, right? And so gravity is a real force. And so not only do we have to figure out how do we grasp some certainty, we're going, how do we actually fight what feels like an uphill, messy battle to get to a place where the kingdom of God is near? And here's the good news. He's not asking you to do the work. He's actually asking you to trust him that he is doing and already done the work. So Jesus tells us something really interesting. He tells us that we actually can get into the kingdom of God now. And he uses this word to tell us how we can get there. And he says, the way that you have access to this, this really interesting word called faith. Faith is your key to the kingdom of God. And faith isn't like, uh, you know, wishful thinking. Faith is believing and obeying even when your senses tell you otherwise. Faith is believing and obeying even in the midst of your doubt. So Jesus goes, you want in on it. It's faith. And I just told you that faith actually doesn't come from something you can conjure up, that you can go sit still long enough and find it yourself. Faith actually is developed from Jesus. It starts with Jesus. And what the scriptures tell us, here's how, how faith works in the kingdom of God. First, you hear about it. That's what we're doing here. Then you get to think about it or consider it, right? Now, really important that we're thinking and consider not just our brains but our whole being that's where the word repentance comes from so actually change what you're thinking about and change the way you think so first you hear it then you think about it this is what's so crazy so crazy you have to come back next week we'd love for you to do it to start seeing this in action then there's this declaration where we speak about it when we sing songs about there's power in the name of jesus we mean it right Sounds crazy, but there's something in the scriptures that go, you hear about it, you think about it, and you speak about it, and you know this, you know this, you know this, right? In the Old Testament, in the book of Proverbs, it says the power of life and death is in the tongue, and you know this. Many of us have imprinted on our heart statements that have just destroyed us. Someone called you lazy. Someone called you fat. Someone called you stupid, right? And here we are 30, 40 years later trying to still prove them wrong. We know that there's power in our words, and so there's something about hearing about it, thinking about it, and as you speak about it. As Jesus spoke about it, something strange happened. It started to be brought about. That's why I told you. Kingdom of God is near, and you can experience today because we are following the scriptures that you speak about it, and then we hear about it. So here you are. So I just would say, would you hear with your ears what Jesus says in the scriptures over and over again? Whoever has ears to hear this, may they hear it. That means anyone open. So would you just just be open to it, right? So that's what we've looked at. So in the past, we've just kind of seen Jesus showing up with these 12 kind of followers and then crowds like this showing up in these little bitty country towns trying to hear about Jesus. And we've seen some pretty, pretty neat stuff. 
So Jesus has been teaching about this. And one of the things he taught about early on was the parable of the seeds. And he basically said, hey, there's kind of four different types of hearts, right? There's only one type of heart that's really prepared to hear this. He called it the seed, the word of God, only ready to receive it with faith, right? And there's others who have shallow hearts or divided hearts or hardened hearts and can't receive this. So he goes, hey, there's something about this. Really, really important. Because what he kind of communicates in that passage is that all this starts in a really tiny way. A seed. Not even a seed you can plant. Just a seed you can receive. Which is really, really neat when you think about it. Because think about what happens with a seed. It goes into some soil. And then it's nourished. Right? Some of you guys are preparing for that right now. And it's nourished in a way where there's water and nutrients. And think about that seed. Kind of closed up in some hard shell. And what happens? What happens? Somehow that shell breaks open. And this little bitty thing starts to sprout. And which way does it go? Think about this. It goes up. And it starts to grow. And hear me. This is what's so crazy. It is defying and beating gravity every single day. So there's something about this. There's something about the seed that sprouts. And you've seen it. It sprouts in the weirdest places. Places you don't want it. Like in the middle of your asphalt. Right? Somehow it gets a little bit of light in. And Jesus goes, if you'll let that light in, it will do all sorts of work. And so Jesus taught about that light. And then afterwards, he told us this. We saw this story where Jesus actually says, those are my family. He makes this familial. He invites everybody into the kingdom of God. And he goes, those of you that want in the kingdom of God, it's really pretty simple. You just got to hear it and then do what it says. So again, today you get to be in God's family if you so choose. And then after that, Jesus uh, with his followers goes on the Sea of Galilee and there's this massive storm and they freak out. Three of them actually wet their pants. That's what it says in the Greek. That's a joke. It wasn't really there. But they got really, really scared. And Jesus, they talk to him and Jesus kind of goes, hey, and he tells the storm to be quiet. Tells it to be peaceful. And it listens. And so we saw this God who, Jesus, who is Lord of the natural. And then last week we saw Jesus deal with some really, really broken stuff. And this garrison demoniac, or garrison demoniac, this guy who's just filled with brokenness. And one of the things that I pointed out last week, I want to remind you, you see there's some things. We all are talking about what we need to do with our, ah, we'll go up here. What we need to do with our mind, Right? This is what, how things change. I even told you, repent for the kingdom of God's near, change your thoughts. And so in our world right now, we all are thinking about how do we fix our brain. And one of the things that you do is you try to get new principles. Really, really good thought, right? Really new principles. Change the way you think. What you think about becomes what you feel about. What you feel about becomes what you believe about. What you believe about comes on how you act, right? Those become your behaviors. And so we have this thing in our world. We go, hey, we just got to have more good thoughts. Have more good thoughts. Look in the mirror. Tell them you're pretty. Tell them you're nice. Whatever that is there, right? Over and over again. And yet, yet there's still some real pain and sorrow. And so go, okay, maybe it's not just principles. And there are actually some, our body's actually broken. And so what do you do when your body's broken? You do rehab and, and invest in medicines that try to fix those things. And sometimes that stuff really, really works. But there's a lot of time that it still seems like something's off. We've added all the principles. We've added all the medicines and still something is still broken. Look at our world right now. Hey, we've tried all the things and it doesn't seem to be the thing that's going to fix the thing. What we saw last week is because there's actually another part of us, another part of us, and we'll, we'll call it here the soul, right? And medicine doesn't fix your soul, right? New principles doesn't fix your soul. And so what we saw last week is Jesus speaks into the soul of a man and he finds peace and freedom and he hears about it and he thinks about it and then he goes to speak about it and the kingdom of God in this pagan place starts to be brought about. So we saw all those things and we're just moving on to the very, very next verse 
that we're going to read. But before we read it, okay, because there's, we got, we got three kind of miraculous stories that I want you to see. And I'm going to go through them pretty quick. And our, our kiddos are going to help by reading the scriptures, and you'll see them up there. But before I do any of that, what I want to do real quick is I want to, you to watch the video of the whole story. So I want you to hear the whole Jesus Storybook Bible, explain this story, and after it explains the story, then I'll come back and we'll revisit it. Got it? So let me just give you the whole story first, and then we'll take it in part. So here you go. Watch this Jesus Storybook Bible. A little girl and a poor, frail lady. There was once a little girl who didn't get out of bed one morning, or the next, or the next. In fact, she didn't get out of bed for a whole month. She was very sick, and no one knew how to make her better. Jairus was her daddy, and he loved her. One day, he was sitting by her bed, holding her hand, wishing there was something he could... I know, he said. He jumped to his feet, put on his coat, kissed his daughter, ran down the step, step, steps, past the servants, out of the house, through the gates, along the road, into the town, up the step, step, steps, and into the temple. He fought his way through all the people until at last he found who he was looking for. Jesus, he said, falling at Jesus' feet. My daughter, he pleaded, please, but he didn't need to beg, because before he'd even finished speaking, Jesus reached out his hand and helped him up. I'll come at once, Jesus said. Jairus's eyes filled with tears. Jesus was coming. It would be all right. In those days, of course, they didn't have ambulances, so they had to go by foot. Jesus' helpers knew that he would heal the sick girl, but they must hurry. If Jesus didn't get there soon, it would be too late. But everyone was in the way, hustling and bustling, jostling and pressing, pushing and shoving, squishing and squashing. The disciples ran ahead, forcing back the crowd. Suddenly, Jesus stopped. His friends looked back. What was he doing? Who touched me? Jesus asked, because he felt power go out of him. Me, said a frail lady, looking down at the ground because she was ashamed. The poor lady had been sick for twelve years, and she had to get well. She knew if she only touched Jesus' coat, she would be healed. So she touched his coat, and instantly she was well. We don't have time, Jesus' friends said. But Jesus always had time. He reached out his hands and gently lifted her head. He looked into her eyes and smiled. You believed, he said, wiping a tear from her eye. And now you are well. Just then, Jairus' servant rushed up to Jairus. It's, it's too late, he said breathlessly. Your daughter is dead. Jesus turned to Jairus. It's not too late, Jesus said. Trust me. At Jairus' house, everyone was crying. But Jesus said, I'm going to wake her up. 
everyone laughed at him because they knew she was dead. Jesus walked into the little girl's bedroom, and there, lying in the corner, in the shadows, was the still little figure. Jesus sat on the bed and took her pale hand. Honey, he said, it's time to get up. And he reached down into death and gently brought the little girl back to life. The little girl woke up, rubbed her eyes as if she'd just had a good night's sleep and leapt out of bed. Jesus threw open the shutters and sunlight flooded the dark room. Hungry? Jesus asked. She nodded. Jesus called to her family. Bring this little girl some breakfast. Jesus helped and healed many people like this. He made blind people see. He made deaf people hear. He made lame people walk. Jesus was making the sad things come untrue. He was mending God's broken world. Do you hear that? He was making the sad things untrue. In other words, is it possible that we could change the trajectory? Is it possible? He said he was mending God's broken world. Is it possible we could stop the free fall? Is it possible we can turn the course? Think so. Now remember I told you, faith comes from hearing. And so what we're going to do now, really, really neat, as a kind of a 2,000-year-old tradition, older than that, right? And even in the New Testament church, this has been the way that it would have worked, that people would have stood up, and they would have read the scriptures aloud, right? Not many people had written scriptures, and they did. Just a little bitty, little bitty segment would have been ripped out, and they would have. So what's going to happen now is we're going to read this aloud. But don't worry, it'll be on the screens. You'll be able to read it with our kids. And so I want you to read Luke chapter 8, the very beginning of this, verses 40 through 42. Here it goes. Thank you, kids. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they had all been waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come into his house. For he had an only daughter, about twelve years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. We'll get back to that in just a second, but I'm going to read a little bit more for a second. But here, here's what we know, right? We read the story, heard the story, all those things. There's this man, his name's Jairus. He is a synagogue leader, probably like a pastor. Uh, similar to what I do, right? So what happened is he has a daughter who's really sick and about to die, and you know the story. Now she, she dies. She dies. So this is very, very concerning. And Jairus doesn't know what to do. He's out of options, completely helpless in this deal. And so what does he do? He hears Jesus is close. So Jairus goes and he finds Jesus, right? Because, because his daughter is dying. Now imagine this. We got two little girls. They're actually up here leading you guys in worship at the beginning. Sophie and Amelia. Little. Love them. Nine and seven. I got a boy, Briggs. He's 12, right? This, this is my age range. And there's nothing, nothing worse that I could imagine. Nothing, nothing than having to officiate their funeral. Right, I remember last year my dad was really sick and we're driving down to Florida and it, it, the Lord healed him, uh, miraculously even. 
But uh, driving down there, I mean, we, we didn't know if we were going to get all the way to Florida before he was dead. And I just remember having this deep, dark thing going, am I going to have to officiate my dad's funeral? What do I say? And so that one sounds rough, but a child, right? Like there are so many things, and some of you have had this experience. And I don't even want to imagine it, can't imagine, but some of you have had to bury your child. Could you imagine the pain and the helplessness of this, right? This is what you see throughout the scriptures where God almost always do something, does something miraculous. It's in these moments where we finally admit that we are not in control, right? So one of the things I love about this free fall right now is we're going, we're not in control. There's not enough principles. There's not enough policies that can fix where we are. We are not in control. We are not. And so what does Jairus do? He, he, or he runs and he gets Jesus. So Jesus looks at him and Jesus is going to do some work. Now, in the meantime, there's all these crowds and this other lady's going to show up, right? Now, she's going to have a blood disorder. Didn't want to make the kids read that because we didn't really want the parents to have to explain all that stuff, right? And so there's this blood disorder that she has. More than likely, this is a uterine hemorrhage is what we think. Probably from giving birth 12 years earlier. Now, one of the things you've got to understand about these problems is uh, this lady, because she has this blood discharge, is considered unclean. And she's not even allowed to be around people. In Jewish culture, you literally would sleep in a different house, right? And so this lady has been isolated and for that week of menstruation, right? That, that week there, you would be in a different place. And so this lady has lived in that world for 12 years. And this happened at childbirth. That means for 12 years without her child. You get the pain of this, right? But it's not the same as dying, is it? So this lady, this girl is dead. In fact, if you're a physician, you got to decide, do I fix the blood disorder or do I fix the person who's about to die, right? And so what Jesus is about to do is he's actually about to provide healing to this girl, which could be considered malpractice. Got it? And so let's read it. I'm going to read it to you. Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 43. And there was a woman, got her, who had a discharge of blood for 12 12, 12 years, 12 years, more than a decade. Many of you have lived in some pain and sorrow for the last 12, 13 months. 12, 12 years of isolation, 12 years of being alone. She's not even supposed to be around people. She would have liked the leper. Whenever she comes into town, she would have to announce that she is unclean. 12 years of declaring that she is unclean. 12 years of waiting for everybody else to clear out before she can get water. 12 years of going to the same spot where someone would have provided some food for kind of third place where she'd go pick it up and go home, wherever that is. 12 years, right? This discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all of her, all her living on physicians, all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She on a free fall. By the way, this is so interesting because the one writing this, Luke, is giving you his medical diagnosis here, right? He's going, no physicians, no physicians can heal. Now, what we, I told you earlier that uh, Luke would have gotten all the eyewitness accounts. This is what's really beautiful. There is a real possibility, real likelihood, actually, that Luke would have sat down with Jairus, and Luke would have sat down with this woman, and he would have gotten these stories. He probably sits down with this little girl and goes, what was that like? She's like, I just woke up right? He would have grabbed all this real story in real life, not folklore, myth, or legend. So he's telling us this, and that's where we find this lady all alone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. Just touches it. By the way, not supposed to. This is inappropriate in Jewish customs. Inappropriate. Would have gotten 
even more ostracized for this. There have been lots of, you know, consequences for her behavior, and she touches Jesus. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, love this, love this. Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. This is so funny because Jesus is going, he's walking, lots of people, who, who touched me? And they're going, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't. And so Peter's like, hey, uh, Jesus, there's a real possibility lots of people touch you. Because look around, there's, there's lots of people. I love Peter. He always offers, you know, things he shouldn't. At times he shouldn't. Love that. Completely identify with him. My favorite person. Outside of Jesus, he's the best, right? In all the scriptures. Because he, you know, he just speaks. and goes, oh, ready, shoot, aim. Love it about him, right? Because Jesus still uses that kind of mass. Love it, love it, love it, right? And so he goes, uh, Master, the crowd surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me. Now watch this, watch this. For I perceive... That literally means from personal experience. From my personal experience, you can say it's all these people, but I'm telling you, my personal experience, from my personal experience, that power has gone out for me. Now we read that and go, yeah, Jesus does miracles, but imagine this for the very first time. Jesus is walking all these crowds, and someone touches him. And he says something so strange. He goes, no, no, I felt it. Felt it. And Peter's like, it's everyone. No, no. It was a specific one. Here's how I know it's a specific one. Because power left my body. No, that would have been the strangest term in the world. Like, what? What do you mean? Like, what is power in your body? Right? And so, what we're seeing here, kind of some foreshadowing of somehow the way that healing, that word here means, that word touch me, right? We're going to see in a second. Healing literally is the word sozo, meaning complete healing. It's actually where we get the word salvation from. This girl got complete healing. He's on the way by which that happens. The way by which we clean up the free fall is actually through God's power. So how, how, how do we access that? So this, these guys listen, he says that, and watch what happens next. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched them and how she had been immediately healed. This is really interesting because she does this with trembling. Right? She was just hoping she'd get some healing and get out of the way. And Jesus decides to pause and go, who touched me? And everybody else is looking around and she's like, oh, goodness. This is going to get really bad. I just touched the man. I was supposed to touch the man. I was unclean. I'm not supposed to do that. Does that mean? I have no idea what the consequences are. So she comes, right, trembling. And she goes, it was me. And that's where it goes. And I was immediately healed. That's why I told you, you can have the kingdom of heaven today. It's available to you today. Jesus' power is available to you today because of resurrection. We'll get there. And she gets complete healing in that moment. And he said to her, watch this. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. See that? See what got her healed? Faith. Faith in what? Jesus, who initiates the faith? Jesus does. He's in her town, right? So she gets to get close to him. She touches him. She gets healed. And he says, your faith has made you well. Now go in peace. Now I've told you the last year was a rough one for me, particularly the first two quarters of 2020. For about a month, I, I took a sabbatical. And for about a month, I had a hard time reading my Bible. Just did. Just was exhausted. Not that I'd stop believing in God. I just go, God, I don't even know that. I don't want to do pastor stuff anymore. I literally call my brother and go, hey, can I come work for you? So funny, because just called me this past week and goes, hey, I think there's a job. I'm like, nope, this is what I'm supposed to do the rest of my life. And, um, but there is a time where it's just like, I don't, I don't know what, what, is it worth it? Is it worth the pain and the sorrow and, you know, the 
missing people's expectations and, you know, like the weight of it on my health and on our family and all those things. Is it, is it worth it? And I can remember I finally about three or four weeks into my sabbatical, I was sitting in my study in the basement and somehow this is the passage I read. You know, just, you know, reading through the Bible and ended up in Luke chapter 8. And I, you know, no one, like, oh, yeah, this is the Markin sandwich. That means that's how Mark writes about it. It's a sandwich of two stories in one. Like, oh, I just want to just sit here and go, God, what do you want to say? And this was the verse. This was the verse. In fact, it stayed up on my, I have a huge whiteboard on the wall. And it stayed up on the whiteboard up until probably two months ago when I've been working on some other stuff down there. Because this was it. It was, um, God, I'd really like to be well. I'd just like to be well. I'd like for my mind to be well. I'd like for my body to be well. But more than that, I'd like for my soul to be well. And then I saw that last part where he says to her, go in peace. And I remember going, I don't know that that's what people experience in me. I don't know if that's even what my family experiences in me. I don't know if peace is the thing that's like, if this is what the kingdom of God is supposed to look like, wellness and peace, those aren't two real like identifiers in me, right? Like Josh, crazy, wild, you know, uh, all over the place, aggressive, you know, the opposite of gentle, right? All those things. And and so in that moment, I remember going, ah, I still want that, God. I don't know what that looks like, but it definitely seems like that's what happens with healing and wellness is that somehow there's a peace that comes with it. This, that word peace literally means complete wholeness. And what he's doing here is he's going, hey, woman, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to resolve the free fall, but we're not just going to resolve what happens. I'm not just going to fix it, and you're still not going to walk in here. No, I'm going to move you in a different trajectory where you walk in peace and wholeness. And just go, isn't that what we want? Isn't that what you want? If you don't believe any of this stuff, it, wouldn't that just be nice for your mind, your body, and your soul just all feel like they're in a harmony together and not at war with one another? Right? Wouldn't that just be nice? So we're going, ah, oh, Lord, that's what I want. And so he says that. And the other thing he says here, I really want to point it out. He says, daughter. By the way, this is the only time in the New Testament that Jesus tell, calls someone daughter. This is so important, guys. This girl, think about it. In this comparison, you got Jairus. What is he doing? What any good dad would do. He is going and being the advocate to Jesus. His daughter is not well. This girl is unclean and not supposed to be there. Shouldn't someone be going and advocating on her behalf? What it tells me is either her dad's dead or he's a deadbeat. Right? Those are the only two options because if not, why in the world is daddy I tell you, if something's wrong with my girls, I am fighting to the death for that, right? Why is daddy not going here? So all of a sudden, you can imagine this girl's in pain and alone, and he not only heals her and sends her in peace, he gives her an identity, and he goes, oh, see, you haven't had an advocate, but you have one now, and the advocate you have is actually me. So he calls her daughter, and he heals her in peace. Really, really good story. But remember, while all this is playing out, this girl's still sick. And dying, and you know the story. She dies. So let me let the kiddos read it over you. This is Luke chapter 8, 49 through 56. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, do not fear, only believe, and she'll be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him. Except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. 
So all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But? But taken her by the hand, hand he called, saying, saying, Child, arise! And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what happened. Oh my goodness, that last girl was so adorable. That's my Amelia. You'll, uh, right? So here's, I mean, they all were. They all were, right? Yeah, a little Evie going, arise. Yeah, so good, right? So here's what we have, right? So we have this story. This girl gets healed, but there's still another story. And they actually say, hey, don't even come anymore. She's dead. That word means exactly what you think it would mean. She has no life. The body is dead. There is no hope. This isn't just a free-for-all. This is in the depths of the despair and darkness. There is no hope here, right? So let me just read it to you real quick to make sure you understand what's going on. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered, don't fear. Got it? Don't fear. Take a deep breath. Only believe. And she will be well. Same word, sozo. She will find salvation. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except for Peter and John and James. Really important. His three closest allies, right? The ones he's developing. We're going to see next week that he's going to send out. So you got to come back. And the father and the mother of the child. How many people in the room? Seven. Seven. Dead girl, Jesus, and the other five. Got it? Now watch what it says here. And all were weeping and mourning for her. All of them. Why? Because it's a dead child. Dead child. But he said, do not weep. No, no, no. It's okay. Don't weep. What? That seems so inconsiderate. There's a dead girl there, and you're telling them to, you know, stop your crying before I give you something to cry about, right? Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they, Who's the they here? This is the mom and the dad and Peter, James, and John. They laughed at him. This isn't like they found it funny. This is, a, this is with contempt. This is a condemning laugh. Jesus' closest buddies, who've already seen him bring one dead person back to life, who've seen him make blind people see and lame people walk. So they still really struggled with this, right? Peter's already messed up twice, right? In the same account. He first does that and he laughs and goes, oh, bring that back in. That's not funny, right? So they laugh at him, knowing that she was dead, but taking her by the hand, saying, child, arise, right? So good. Mark gives us kind of a better understanding of that Aramaic word, and it literally is the same thing she would have heard every single morning. Hey, Amelia, wake up, get your shoes on, right? That kind of thing, like this sweet thing, and all of it says here, and it says, and her spirit, pneuma, this is so, so important, her spirit, that literally means breath. Now think about how all the world started. God formed Adam and Eve, and you go, I don't believe that. Then what do you believe, right? There is a, there is a Genesis story somewhere, and the best thing we can come up with is that God spoke into existence, but he made a dead man come to life. Adam, laying there, without a, without a heartbeat. How does he do it? He breathes into him, right? And so he breathes life back in the pneuma there and her spirit returned and she got up at once and he directed some, that something should be given to her to eat. This is so funny. He's like, she's probably hungry. 
hey, will you get her some food? What? She was just dead, and now you want her to eat some crackers? Right? Yeah, just, like, literally, he treats this like it's a non-event. Why does he treat it like it's a non-event? Because for the power and the spirit of the living God, this is as easy as you blink in your eye. You got it? This is so important. This is why we can't get so consumed and so worried about the free fall because he is not worried about it. Because waking a dead girl, or waking someone up in the morning versus bringing a dead person back to life is the same amount of energy for him. Right? He speaks. And the whole thing happens. So he says, hop up, little girl. Get her a biscuit, right? And her parents were amazed. And then something weird happens. But he charged them not to tell anyone. What? The whole point is people should know about the kingdom of God. And how do you hear about the kingdom of God? It's spoken. Why does he not want them to speak? I don't know. I've done all the research I can. There's a lot of opinions there, a lot of different stuff. And what we argue is that a lot of people are looking for signs and wonders, but signs and wonders aren't the solution. So just more people talking about signs and wonders and not actually hearing about the kingdom of God. And so Jesus' primary message was about the kingdom of God. So could this be a distraction to the kingdom of God? No, no, it's available to you too. Wait, wait, God didn't heal my, you know, my broke foot or my blindness. That's not what he came to do. He came to bring the kingdom of God to you forever. That's what's available to you. And so you go, well, what, what's he doing here? The reason I believe, this is why I'm so glad we get to talk about on Easter. The reason I believe that, um, that he tells them to do this here is because this isn't supposed to be the big story. Dead girl back to life isn't going to make, isn't his headline. It doesn't go on the front page of his scrapbook. Right? This isn't the story. Because he's going to do something even crazier. Not only is he going to speak death back to life and bring people back to life by speaking it and breathing it into them. He's actually going to show how death is conquered all together. In fact, what he's going to show is that there's actually a way to completely reverse this trajectory. So how does he do that? Same reason we, how he does this, why we celebrate 2,000 years later. So I want you to remember, there's this moment in Scripture where Jesus is arrested. And the reason he's arrested it's because he said he's the king of the Jews and the king of the world. And he actually says he's God himself. He's God in the flesh. That he came to set captives free and heal the oppressed. He came to offer the kingdom of God to usher it in for us. He came to speak life into us and people didn't like it. And so what do they do? They go, no, we don't want that. Plus, it's messing with our you know, church attendance and our tithes and offerings. We need them to focus on us and our buildings, not on Jesus. So what do the Jews and the Romans do? They murder him. And it feels deep and dark and it's a free fall and it's complete despair and Saturday almost 2,000 years ago it was complete devastation there was no hope it just felt like there was nothing to cling to it was a complete free fall what took years of a slow creep now just had a massive fall right and so they're in the middle of all of it and literally the world turns dark literally earthquakes happen and they have to rush to take his dead body off the cross because it's about to be the Sabbath. And, you know, all of a sudden, they better follow the rules of the Sabbath anymore because the one who was Lord of the Sabbath just died. So they got to get back to their good Jew rules, right? So they can be welcomed back into the club because they were definitely outcasts at this point. So they get him off and they rush him and they throw him into a tomb. And then two days later, they're going to come back on a Sunday morning. They're going to give him a proper burial, right? But something happens on that third day. 
and I want you to hear it. Hear it like you hear it for the first time and hear it out of the mouths of babes. You ready? So our kid is going to read this to you. If you're wondering what version this is, it's the Passion Translation of Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. I just want you to hear the whole thing. Here it goes. Very early that Sunday morning, the women made their way to the tomb carrying the spices they had prepared. Arriving at the tomb, they discovered that the huge stone entrance had been rolled aside. So they went in to look, but the tomb was empty. The body of Jesus was gone. They stood there stunned and perplexed. Suddenly, two men appeared above them in dazzling white robes, shining like lightning. Terrified, the women fell to the ground on their faces. The men in white said to them, Why would you look for a living one in the tomb? He is not here, for he has risen. For he has risen. He is not here, he was risen. Okay. He told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man was delivered or over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then, then they, they remembered, remembered his words. Even the tomb. And then they went to break the news to the eleven and to all the others of what they have seen and heard among them were Mary, Mary Madeline, Joanna, and Jesus' mother Mary. The disciples heard the testimony of the women. It made no sense, and they were unable to believe what they heard. But Peter jumped up and ran the entire distance to the tomb. To see for himself, stooping down, he looked inside and discovered it was empty. There was only the linen sheet lying there. Staggered by this, he walked away, wondering what it meant. So let me read Luke 24, 12, the very last verse in ESV, and it says this, But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. By the way, that word marvel is the same one that it talks about when, when uh, Mary was holding baby Jesus and looking, and everybody's worshiping. It says she treasured up and marveled at all these things. Same word. So Peter goes, wait, what just happened? Right, he just died. I just turned my back on him, and now we got an empty tomb. And so what does he do? He sprints to the tomb, and he finds it empty. In other words, maybe there is a different option. Maybe it can change. Maybe we can solve the problem. Maybe it can be turned around. And so then finally, Jesus reveals himself to them. And this is what he says. It's so, so beautiful. And I want you to hear it. Remember, you hear this. And hear, faith comes from hearing the word of God. And so I'm going to read all this over you. And we're going to wrap up. And the band's going to come up. We're going to celebrate together. So as they come, let me read these verses to you. As they were talking about, this is Luke 24, 36. Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, there it is, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and feet? That is I myself. 
touch me and see for this a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have I am here with you and when he said this he showed them his hands and feet and while they still disbelieved for joy and marveling he said to them watch this he just got resurrected remember the little girl have you something to eat love this he wants something to eat they gave him a broiled fish for breakfast that's terrible we have much better stuff at the big yellow mug and he took it and ate before them and then he said to them these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. So he's going, let me put it all together for you. Let me show you how you fix the free fall. Let me show you how you change the trajectory. Let me show you how you get in on the resurrection story. Let me show you how you get into the kingdom of God. These are the words I've spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So all the Old Testament points to this. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day, rise from the dead, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name. Changing the way you think. To all nations beginning from Jerusalem, you are witnessing, witnesses of these things, and behold, hear me, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. Stay in this, listen to this. But stay in the city until you're clothed with what? What you want to hear? Clothed with what? What does it say there? Power, power from on high. So he goes, you wait, and then we're going to flip the switch, and all of a sudden my spirit and my power are going to go into my people, and the kingdom of God is going to go invade the world. Guess what? 2,000 years ago, that spirit landed on a place at Pentecost, and it became available to us. So the same power that conquered the grave literally is available to us. So the way by which we reverse all this stuff isn't by new policies, isn't by new procedures, isn't by new principles. It's allowing the spirit of the living God to come into us and transform us. Come into us and transform us. Do you understand that? That's the power that's available to you. And let me tell you what I believe. I don't believe you wholeheartedly believe that. Because I don't always believe that. But what if that's true? What if we're in this deep free fall because God finally wants us to cling to him and go, the only way this changes, the only way my daughter gets healed, the only way that I get this healing is if I cling to you and your power invades me. So what I would challenge you with is invite God, invite his resurrection, the story of the empty tomb into our life because this is the day to celebrate because he takes graves and turns them into gardens, right? He, he takes this tomb and he goes, no, no, this isn't a story of a, of a tombstone. This is a story of power. So as we finish up today, I want us to sing about this God who gives us his power and his resurrection so that we can go and bring the kingdom of heaven everywhere we go, first into our hearts and minds, then into our families, then into our world. So would you stand with me if you're in the room, if you want to hop out of your car in the parking lot, even stand in the living room, would we make these words true as we finish today? i
thank you. What if that's true? Like, really, what if that's true? Sorry. Like, what if the resurrection is really real? And what if the last year was God preparing us and knocking out idols so we could cling to him and experience the resurrection power in our own life, and our own hearts, and our own families, and, our, and then take this news to the world? What if it's true? If it's true, it changes everything. It changes the way we go about our day. It changes how we interact with one another. And it changes where we put our hope and where we find our peace. So what I want to do is I want to just pray over you a blessing. And I want you just to breathe. And as you breathe, I just want to ask the Holy Spirit to fill you with his breath. The same breath that breathed life into Adam. The breath that breathed life into the first century church. Same breath that breathed life back into the little girl. Could that be breathed into us. And may you walk out of here with the resurrection power. Paul tells us that if we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that God was raised from the dead and that Jesus is Lord, then you will be saved. The kingdom of God will be available to you. Do you believe in your heart that Jesus was raised from the dead? Can you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the only one who can? Lord, then as you walk out of here, you walk out of here with the same power whether you believe it or not, it might be a little bitty seed, the same power that conquered the grave. So let me just pray this over you, and then you'll be dismissed. Jesus, I believe your spirit is real. In fact, I know what it is, God. I have experienced the evidence of your spirit in my life with healing, with peace, and with wholeness. You could not convince me otherwise. And so, Jesus, I want the same. God, would you give us your spirit? Holy Spirit, would you breathe into your people? Right now, as we breathe in, would it fill our lungs? And would that resurrection power, God, would it just, would it breathe into us? And we walk out of here, and we go in peace. Not just in our own soul, but will we usher in peace everywhere we go because the Spirit of the living God is with us. Would you give us the confidence to know that you're real? Would you give us the confidence to know that you were raised from the dead? Would you give us the confidence, Lord, as you breathe this into us, to allow you to be Lord of our lives? And may you take the kingdom of God with us into our communities, into our homes, and into our world, into our workplaces now. Because your resurrection changes us and it will change our world. It changes the trajectory of everything. We are no longer on a free fall. We are moving like a seed is growing, defying gravity as your spirit is doing it. And I pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. May you be blessed. May you walk in the goodness of the Holy Spirit of the resurrection power on Easter Sunday this morning. Love you guys. Be well.